if you can improve the customer experience and and you can leverage your team and the people around you to improve that experience, you know, you get you get this sense of loyalty. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by AWS Energy. Before I introduce this week's guest, I wanted to please ask everyone, as I do every week, leave me a review. It helps other people find the show, and I love reading this stuff on air. In fact, let me read this week's review. Alex Epstein podcast was extraordinary. Five stars. I love the conversation. Learned so many great things, including the concept of human flourishing. Enjoyed every word. And that's from photo user 7665833. Thank you so much for giving me your feedback. I take that very much to heart. And I just I really appreciate that you guys love the show. All right. So I'm sitting here this afternoon with Mark Spieler, global business development, energy industry at a little company called NVIDIA. How are you, Mark? How's it going? I'm great, Paige. Thanks for having me on today. Well, thanks for coming on. Let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Sounds great. So I'm originally from Minnesota. I grew up in Minnesota and, you know, not a not a big oil and gas area of the country or of the world. I can kind of hear your accent. <laughs> yeah, when I start talking about it, people ask, are you Canadian? And I said, Minnesota. And they said, oh, you know, same, same difference. <laughs> right. So I went to school and grew up in Minnesota. And then I started working for a computer company called Silicon Graphics, SGI. And did inside sales there and was responsible for covering the Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and Arkansas region mm-hmm. of the country. And so clearly some of my customers were universities, but a lot of them were oil and gas companies. And so I, I started back in 2002 coming down to Houston quite a bit and then was asked to move down to Houston to cover oil and gas as an industry. Mm-hmm. And so moved down in, in early 2002 covered oil and gas and primarily working with companies like Halliburton and Landmark, as well as Schlumberger and Paradigm, mm-hmm. some of the software companies, right, that ran on our hardware platforms. And after doing that for about four years down here, got the opportunity to move over to Landmark and go to work for Halliburton in their software division. Okay. Spent 13 years at Halliburton in a variety of different roles from software partnerships and alliances to offshore software development, and then eventually moved into corporate finance and did credit and collections for a while. Yeah, that's a little bit of everything, huh? Big change. You know, probably my favorite role, though, out of all the roles I've had in my career, because I got to travel the world and meet with CFOs of companies and oil ministers and senior level executives throughout different partners and companies that work with us in trying to understand where they were going and, and whether or not we should extend credit to them. And, you know, fortunately, didn't have to spend a lot of time in collections during the period I was in that role because the industry was doing fantastic. I'm glad I'm not in that role today. I'm sure it's a little... Yeah, I guess so, huh? Yeah. And so I uh, did that and then moved into mergers and acquisitions. 
and spend time integrating the companies that we bought into the Halliburton culture and Halliburton systems and processes and those things. And then had the opportunity to move back into a technology role when NVIDIA had an opening for this global business development leader, basically running the energy sector for NVIDIA. And so I've been been tied to the industry for close to 20 years now in a variety of different ways. And I see technology as the direction of the industry. And so it's been a fantastic year and a half. We've seen growth in an industry that is is very challenged right now. Yeah, very much challenged. So speaking of challenges, uh, let's talk about some of those challenges you've had to face over this 20 years and the issues and, and, and kind of what you've learned from everything. So a variety of different challenges, right? So when I worked for Silicon Graphics, they were a huge company back in, back in the 90s. They owned the Google campus, right? That was the SGI campus. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, they were the leader in graphics. And, you know, I even I typically tell people those yellow lines on the football field that show the first down and things like that. That was originally done, I think, on SGI systems. Oh, wow. That's so neat. Yeah. And so it, it was kind of our claim to fame and, and all these, you know, movie rendering and special effects and all of that stuff. And it was a great company. But, you know, I joined towards the tail end of the time when they were really big in oil and gas. And, you know, when I moved down in 2002 and started covering them, a lot of people were moving towards more standardized systems. You know, although I, I was able to build a business, it was it was a challenge. And I think the industry has continued to try to migrate to industry to standards and more commodity-based infrastructure and less proprietary infrastructure. And so, you know, that made it more challenging, but the timing was great to move into the software side of the business. And, you know, throughout my time at Halliburton, you know, I've seen the industry go up and down and, you know, a variety of layoffs and downturns that have, you know, affected people throughout the industry. And what I think I've realized is that, you know, oil companies and oil field services companies, they're going to be here to stay for a long time. And, you know, I think even working for a tech company today, we recognize the fact that, you know, oil and gas is going to be used for, for the foreseeable future. But how how people are going to leverage technology to, you know, maximize the efficiency of doing those things are really going to come down to individual people and work methods and, and technology. And so it's less about big iron these days and and capital expenses. And it's going to be more about, you know, working smarter and not harder. Yeah. I mean, everybody's running so lean because we don't have a choice, you know? So yeah, definitely in the right direction. So let's talk about what you do with NVIDIA right now, your current role. So NVIDIA, for I guess listeners that aren't familiar with NVIDIA, you know, and a lot of people aren't unless they have, you know, teenage children that play video well, I mean, I mean, I know adults that are gamers as well. So that's true. You know, that's all over YouTube. Yes, and you know, my kids claim that they want to be streaming, game streaming people when they grow up. Right? That's that's. <laughs> I think that's every kid's dream, right? Right. I tell you, I I encourage it because I think there's a huge opportunity there. But at the same point, you got to be educated, so you have something to fall back on if you're not the best gamer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate it because it keeps 
keeps your mind sharp. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I can't even, I don't even try to keep up with them. The, the coordination and the, the thoughts and the strategy to be four steps ahead of others when you're playing these video games is, is Oh, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Just give me a regular Nintendo or a Super Nintendo and I can handle myself, kind of. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so basically, in, NVIDIA, you know, started off as a, as a graphics company, moved into high-performance computing, and, and now is a leader in artificial intelligence. And in the energy industry, most people know us in the upstream exploration side of the business. So, you know, they've used us on their desktops for, for visualization of applications like Petrel or Decision Space, do geo, geoscience interpretation. And, and then we, we started to become very big in seismic processing and high-performance computing because our, our GPUs have seven to 10,000 cores in them. You can do highly parallelized things very fast. But my job when I came in was to, to take over that, the oil and gas industry, but expand it into more energy. And really, my focus has been, how do I take what we've learned in the upstream area of the business and expand that now into reservoir characterization, reservoir simulation, through production, into pipelines, refineries, and even down into power generation, distribution, all the way out to retail. And, you know, people use our technology a lot to do things like video analytics or real-time processing of data in things like autonomous cars or medical instruments and things like that. So those same things can be applied to the energy industry, right, as, as we're trying to look for you know, flare detection or methane detection or detect leaks in pipelines or health and safety. Yeah. People are wearing the appropriate protective gear. And, and really, I my job is to just help customers and partners recognize what's possible and then assign resources, technical resources to help them build the solution out. And, and eventually they'll consume GPUs or, or graphics cards, whether it be in the cloud or from from a company like Dell or HP. That's so cool. Definitely cool. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Just based off of your your vast experience, you know, over these 20 years. Well, so the biggest thing I would I would stress especially to young people is get a technical degree. My undergraduate is in is in marketing and fortunately I was able to get into a company like SGI and and Halliburton and others, but I tell a lot of young people I work with today that, you know, things like marketing and business communications and all that can be learned. And there's there's definitely some important aspects of that that you can pick up in school. But, you know, I think training your mind to understand very technical aspects are, are really important. So whether you want to be a, a chemistry major or biology major or engineering or computer science, right? Those type of technical degrees and technical training, I think are going to become even more critical as we continue to to develop not only this industry, but other industries. And, you know, if you want to fall back and do marketing or sales or work within a corporation or do other things, that that's great. But having the capability to understand those technical discussions, tremendous. And, and that's an area that Although I've been in the industry for 20 years, I still struggle to understand some of those 
those core concepts that had I got a degree in it and, and started on that early, I think I'd be much more proficient in those areas. And I think everybody should think about that when they're when they're going to school and thinking about what they want to do with their careers. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that, especially, you know, marketing that can go into any industry, you know, so you kind of have a place to fall back that way, you know? Yeah, no. And that's the thing, right? You're not going to find marketing people that will eventually become an engineer, right? Unless they go back to school. I think years ago that that might have happened. But I think today, right, having those credentials behind you is tremendous. And even now, as I'm looking to hire people for relationship roles and business development roles, I look to that pedigree to have technical backgrounds, partly because it's a gap to fill within my organization. So if we've got a a variety of geoscientists and computer scientists, so I'm I'm looking to hire some reservoir engineers and, you know, people that work in the engineers that work in the utility space, maybe electrical engineers or power engineers. But once again, they might be doing business development roles or, or marketing roles or even relationship developer relationship roles, which is a lot of project management. But, but understanding the problem that a customer is trying to solve is essential, right? And being able to talk their language without just talking buzzwords. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a marketing. You know all about some buzzwords, right? <laughs> well, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt if you're not technical to know the buzzwords. <laughs> Agreed. So what book influenced you the most and why? Boy, you know, that, that's a great question. I'm not a huge book reader. And that's another area that, that if I could go back and change, or maybe as I get more time in my career, I, I, would, I would change. You know, a lot of the books that, that I've read have been more sales and business development books about process like strategic selling or conceptual selling and things like that throughout the time. But I can't pick one book that that really has influenced me because, you know, there's so few. I typically find myself reading web articles or news and things like that. that yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Yeah. I, you know, my father read the newspaper growing up and I think that really just watching him do that in magazines he would do that while we watched TV at night, but I never saw him pick up a book, nor did he ever push us to pick up books, right? You know, we part of the paper and this is before internet. And now it's just been replaced with, you know, different news. But, you know, it just wasn't part of my DNA to be a big book reader. And even when I try, I, I find that, you know, it just doesn't hold my attention as much as jumping from article to article. Yeah, because you know it's there's a lot ahead of the the ahead of you. So yeah, no, I totally understand. I mean, I think the the last books I I finished were it was like the Harry Potter series or something. Don't judge me, people. <laughs> so I, I completely understand. It's the attention and there's just so much going on anyway. I don't feel like it's worth the time in some instances to and that's how I feel personally. No, I buy books. I have a lot of books. I do too. Because I always think, you know, this book looks interesting or somebody recommended this book or, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of consulting firms throughout the years. And of course, they've got consultants that publish books and, you know, you get them at Christmas time or at the holiday time as gifts. And they just stack up and unfortunately just haven't been read. Maybe someday when I retire, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, I have a couple of friends that are authors. I buy all of their books to support them and that's about it. 
So what would you say is your most used business tool? Most used business tool. Well, today I would say that's Microsoft Teams. You know, this COVID situation has has changed the way in which we work. And, you know, to me, it's going to continue to be the way that a lot of companies are going to work moving forward. So I'm probably on, I don't know, maybe six Teams calls a day nowadays. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's like people want to meet more now on Teams than or Teams or Zoom or whatever. We use Teams, but it's a tremendous amount of face-to-face times via Teams versus even what we had in meetings before, you know. So I think it's going to change the way we work moving forward, but but it is nice. I even find myself that I don't even pick up my phone very much anymore. I actually just press the the video button on the on my contact and it video calls them. And yeah. you know, it's not necessarily a scheduled meeting, but it very quickly rings them up and I can have a face-to-face discussion. And, you know, in Houston, we have about 25 to 30 people at NVIDIA, but we don't have an office. Gotcha. We all work from home and we've been virtual since, since I started. I, I think we will eventually have an office because we continue to grow. But you know, we, we spend a lot of time traveling and in front of customers. But now I really think that the world is going to change. I think as I look to some of our customers and, and companies that we work with, I just believe that the real estate that they once occupied is going to reduce tremendously. And people are going to come in when they have meetings or big get togethers, maybe once a week or something like that, but or when they need to collaborate in front of a whiteboard. But other than that, I, I think Teams and video conferencing is here to stay. I'll have to agree with you on that. Even though that they've already started to distribute this vaccine, I just I feel like it's really helped everybody figure out how to work with one another without being in each other's presence. You know, and it's just a lot of it's convenience, if you think about it that way, and not having to spend that money on the real estate and rent and what have you, parking for your your employees and so on and so forth. So I agree. If, if you look at, you know, the oil and gas industry in general, more and more operators and, and especially service companies, they're all trying to become asset light, right? And we see this a lot in my area of the business because they're, they're moving out of their data centers and they're moving to cloud computing and they, they don't want to invest on in on-prem infrastructure like that. And now the opportunity to, to work remotely and, they used to have to have facilities because people had to, you know, be able to access data. And a lot of these folks, especially in upstream, are accessing huge amounts of data. But now with with virtual desktops and remote tools, all of that data is safe in a data center. And it's basically sending pixels. And so between video conferencing and being able to do your technical work on a standard laptop by just logging into a remote desktop the need for that physical location is just becoming smaller and smaller. And that's great for our industry and us as a company, because we've got great solutions around that stuff. But I think it's going to, you know, change the way people live and work and where they choose to live. And we see a lot of the big tech companies, you know, making decisions around, you know, they can hire the best people wherever they are in the world now, and they don't have to have them live where where they have buildings. Isn't that incredible how that's that's changed? You can just you can be anywhere. Exactly. 
Exactly. And, and, you know, it's going to be helpful, I think, as far as getting expertise and, you know, it may allow people to have better work-life balances or potentially... I was going to say, how do you think it's going to affect the quality of life for people? Yeah. Well, for me, I was driving 30 miles a day when I was working at a physical office, right? Yeah. Each way, right? So it was 60 miles round trip and I'd, I'd spend uh, maybe an hour to two hours depending on traffic in the car every day, which... Which now well, yeah, I, you're in Houston, so it could it, it could be three hours for all you know. Depends. Could be, yeah, absolutely. And and now you know it's not. So you know, I find myself probably working more, but I can take a lot more breaks. You know, I can have have breakfast with the kids because I'm up working before they are up and downstairs. But then I can, you know, take 20 minutes off or 30 minutes, go have breakfast with them, get them off to school, and then go back to my day and. I couldn't do that when I was 30 miles away, right? And, you know, be here when they come home from school. And, you know, I think children are even acclimating to, you know, what it's like to have parents at home and working from home and and being respectful of the fact that when my door is closed that I'm working and when it's open, yeah, come on in and let's talk. I want to hear about your day. And, you know, it's just going to be a transition that I think will – will strengthen a lot of family relationships and work. And I think even some of the big companies that never thought they could have a remote work situation were forced into it and now are recognizing that it's really, it's really worked out well. Yeah, I will agree with you. I tell you what, when I was working in an office, that the, the, the amount of distraction I got just by people walking by my office killed me. So I, I think, well, now that I'm not in any office any, anyway, I'm able to focus better without all the, you know, disruption. Yeah. I tell you, there's a lot less side conversations or, you know, stopping here or there. Sometimes I, I get so caught up though that, you know, I forget what time it is and, you know, what's going on around me because it's just so easy to get consumed in it. But, but it's nice because I, like I said, I can, I can walk away when I need to and do do what I need to as well. That's great. Who would you say is your most respected competitor? Boy, it's hard to say, I guess. You know, a lot of people ask us, you know, or when I tell them I work for NVIDIA and we we do this and that, they say, well, we're working in the cloud. We're working in Azure. We're working in Google or, or AWS. And they view them as, as our competitors because they're going to use the cloud and not buy, buy GPUs from us. And what I explain to them is, is that, those are our biggest customers, right? And they provide access to our GPUs in their cloud, right? And and therefore, you know, we are not competitors, we're partners. And, and our goal is to help you leverage our technology in their cloud and get the most out of it. If, if you ask who we truly compete with, it, it's the likes of Intel and AMD. And those are great companies, right? They're competitors, but they're also partners, right? Right. You can't buy a system without a CPU in it, right? Most systems that everybody uses, whether it's a cell phone, a, a laptop, a desktop, or servers, they have CPUs, GPUs, and network cards, right? Are the three main things that make a computer up, right? Some way to get exactly. the data, some way to visualize the data, and then computation. And so we partner closely with Intel and AMD because most of the time people are, are leveraging one of the CPU companies along with our GPUs. But, you know, it always comes down to, are they a competitor? Yeah, because people can choose to run their applications on CPUs and not accelerate those applications using GPUs. And 
And once again, they're great companies, right? And they've been around a long time and they have some very smart people. And it's not uncommon for people to come from those companies to us and us to them. But, you know, it really comes down to what type of science problem or technology problem you're trying to solve and whether or not accelerated computing can accelerators like GPUs can benefit it. There are some things like operating systems that that we just will never do. And there's things that are highly parallelized like AI or graphics or high performance computing algorithms that can be parallelized that that our stuff just runs better. And so fortunately, it's a big enough ecosystem for all of us. And, you know, we love to compete. We love to win. But we also respect the smart folks at all of those places as well. So basically, you work together, but separately. Well, we work together and partner very closely. Like we we sell a system called the DGX, and it's basically a very optimized system for AI, AI training in the data center or AI inferencing in the data center. You know, even though we sell this this appliance, it basically has our GPUs in it, but it has, depending on the generation, Intel CPUs or AMD CPUs, right? Once again, we work closely with them to design and maximize the performance and the outcome for the customer together, right? And, you know, but then we could be in a situation where we're competing for a high-performance computing environment for seismic processing, and the customer's getting bids with our GPUs in them and AMD GPUs or Intel CPUs. And those times we're just going to compete. And we both put engineers and resources forward to give the customer the best performance. And ultimately, they're going to look at the price and the performance and make a decision. And sometimes we win and sometimes we don't win. But typically we win, which is a great thing. <laughs> but most of the time we do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so what is your most important lesson learned, Mark? Boy, that's a tough one. I think as a business professional, if you can improve the customer experience, you can be successful, right? And that's really, it all comes down to customer service, right? Sometimes you're going to have better technology. Sometimes you're not, you know, just like every industry, you know, companies go through technology roadmaps. And and sometimes you're at a point in a roadmap where one of your competitors might be better than you or not. But, you know, if you can improve the customer experience and, and you can leverage your team and the people around you to improve that experience, you know, you get, you get this sense of loyalty and that makes things easier when, when things get tough. And what I find is that it also builds lifelong, lifelong relationships with, individuals. And I guess that's, I guess it could be expanded to just not the customer experience, but just overall, if you improve the experience of the people you work with, you know, things are just going to be better. Right. I can't stress that enough. Yeah. Do you have like maybe a small example of that, of how to improve that relationship? Well, you know, a lot of times, you know, customers are, are trying to be successful in, in their business and in their positions. And I've seen it many a times where, you know, you are trying to help them to be successful. And it can't always be a win-lose situation. It should be a win-win situation always. And and sometimes you have to do things that might not be in your best interest or in, in your company's best interest to help those customers be successful or accomplish something that that 
is new and innovative or different or be successful. And I, I think a lot of times people view business development or these type of relationships as a, you know, vendor, supplier, customer type relationships. But, you know, depending on how long you've worked with those folks, if, you know, if you can consistently come through for them, you know, you start to build a rapport with your customers where they have a great experience working with you. They open up their minds to trying new things with you and help you to be successful as you try new things. And once again, you return the favor to help them be successful in what they're trying to achieve. And and then it turns into more of a partnership, right? And, you know, there's always that buzzword as you're going to have to edit this part. Out. <laughs> but, you know, a trusted business advisor, you know, and once again, there it's a buzzword. But at the same point, I do think that is is true. If if you've helped your customers or or, or your partners, they're going to come to you because they trust that you're going to be able to help them. And, and sometimes that help means telling them you're not the right solution or introducing them to somebody that can help them more than you can. Yeah. And even if that person's your competitor, by doing that, you're creating that incredible trust that's so important to that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where a lot of times, you know, NVIDIA is not always the cheapest solution, as I've been told. But once again, we tell people, here's where we can help you and here's here's where we can't, right? You know, if, if we're not getting this kind of performance boost, then then we're probably not the right solution for you. It's a different type of environment. And I've learned some of that over the last couple of years, but, you know, even when I was back at SGI, we were a premium brand. And, you know, I learned very quickly that, you know, we don't fit every application. And I think business leaders need to find their niche as to what they can change for a customer and focus on those areas and not try to, not try to be greedy and broaden their involvement or footprint into areas they just shouldn't play. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely agree. So why do you think your role now is important to the future of the oil and gas industry? Well, I think the biggest thing is as the oil and gas industry continues to evolve, I think there's three main areas of focus. One is autonomous operations, right? More and more customers are looking to remove people from dangerous or unsafe processes, be able to optimize performance of assets, right? Whether it be in a refinery or within production facilities and basically take what's worked, train a model and basically be able to deploy it. And, you know, these are the types of things I tell people, it's, it's kind of like going from the difference between cruise control on a car and a fully autonomous car, right? So automated operations to autonomous, you can turn on cruise control and, you know, set parameters and it works. But at some point, there's going to be a desire to move to autonomous operations where you actually are constantly optimizing and tweaking performance. And those type of things require a huge amount of data processing and not just in a data center to train a model, but actually out at the edge to actually see the data coming in and, and make changes in real time, similar to autonomous cars, right? You know, it doesn't do you any good if the car turns left four seconds later, you know, when it should have turned. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> 
you know, at the at the street. So those are critical. I think the whole push for decarbonization is going to be huge. And and what that means is you're going to see new alternative energies coming on board. You you see companies like Shell talking about being the largest electric company by 2030. You see companies investing in offshore wind and solar and hydrogen and all of these things. And and to make all of that stuff work and be efficient is going to require a lot of computing resources and simulation and things like that because Ultimately, it's not like a fossil fuel or a natural gas power plant. It's very different, right? Because you can't always guarantee shiny sun and you can't guarantee wind blowing. And so you're going to have to predict how things are going to produce energy or electricity. And therefore, you're able to make decisions in real time. And as they move more and more to this decarbonization, you're going to see a huge decentralization of resources, right? It's not going to be a few major power plants. It's going to be millions of solar panels and windmills and other things. And once again, that's that's very different than our energy grids manage today. Today, it's very one directional. It goes all the way out to your house and, you know, you turn on the lights and it works. And now you're going to have to figure out how much electricity you want to create because you don't want to create too much because then, you know, the battery storage isn't there and eventually, right. it will. but you're going to have to monitor, you know, what is the usage of electricity? How much is being produced by individual houses with solar panels or windmills and where it's located and be able to move things around because you don't want to overbuild the infrastructure and waste electricity by making too much and running it into the ground because that doesn't help with the decarbonization. And all of these things are are tied back to lots of data moving in different directions and the ability to use high-performance computing or acceleration at the edge to monitor that and solve for it. And 5G is going to change the industry. Yeah, it is. <laughs> You know, and once again, it it's going to be a very different industry. And and a couple of years ago, one of my mentors, when I was talking to him about going to NVIDIA, I asked him what he thought. And he said, Mark, the oil and gas industry, it can't be. And this was specifically oil field services. But he said it, it can't be about big iron and it's not going to be about the availability of assets and all of this stuff. He said the future is all digital. And he said, they're going to differentiate themselves by the digital assets that they can bring to the table. And you're well positioned within a company like NVIDIA to drive that. Yeah, the digital transition is immense. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I'm just not 100% sure everybody understands it, but I think in the next few years they will. And we've been doing some work with organizations like SEG and SPE and NASB, which is the National Society of Black Engineers and, and other organizations to provide them with access to our deep learning institute courses, DLIs, we call them. And we trying to reskill the workforce for AI, machine learning and deep learning, because, you know, in order to do those type of things, you, you have to understand the problem you're trying to solve, be able to look at data and, and basically start to create models that will eventually be used to automate processes. Exactly. 
Yeah. And so uh, I think reskilling the workforce is, is, is a responsibility of all tech companies to help to do that because, you know, we get paid a lot from these companies for infrastructure and things like that. And we need to do what we can to give back to the industry that's been supportive of us. Right. So, Mark, do you have a favorite podcast? This one now. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been a big podcast guy and I'm starting to. I'm starting to do more and more podcasts and realizing that, you know, and and realizing that these are great things. I, I typically listen to the news when I'm in the car, but no, I can't tell you I have a favorite one, but I'm starting to listen to more. And especially as I, I start to evaluate where our customers and, and others are listening, there are a few friends of ours that, that have run podcasts on, you know, different cooking shows, different cooking or things like that. But once again, I guess I didn't mention this, but I have four children. So huh, not a lot of time between kids. <laughs> To read books or podcasts, but yeah, yeah, you know they're they're starting to get old enough where a little less hand holding, but maybe eventually I'll get into that. Well, and they might be getting into it too, and then you you know, it's, it's just a different way of cons- consuming information. Is all we've got quite a few of them. In fact, I'm not only just on this show; I also co-host with Mark Lacour on oil and gas this week. So I don't know, actually, I'm glad I said that. I don't know how many of my listeners actually know that I do that. But yeah, I'm on another show just in case anybody else is interested. But we've got a ton of shows more in the works for 2021. So yeah. Yeah. I've spoken with Mark a few times now and, you know, he's so captivating just to listen to on the phone, you know, that it makes me want to listen to more of his podcasts. And we actually have had some discussions about some of the live streams you guys are starting to do as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm not so involved in that. I'm not a big fan of video just because it's mostly you can tell what I'm thinking by looking at my face. (laughs) It says it all on my face. So, yeah. So this actually, I think, will go out the last week of the year. I wanted to wish everyone a happy new year and I hope you had a safe and wonderful holiday with your families. I actually want to thank all of our listeners. I have reached 106,000 downloads, so it wouldn't be possible without you guys. I guess that's my present for the year for the holidays. But Mark, thank you again so much for coming on. If people want to reach out to you or get to know more about your company, how can they go about doing that? You can either go to the energy industry page at nvidia.com or you can reach directly out to me at mspieler, S-P-I-E-L-E-R, at nvidia.com. I'd love to hear from people on how we can help them to accelerate their energy transformation. Well, and just to keep all the spam bots away from your email, we're going to actually provide your LinkedIn profile if that's not a big problem. Oh, absolutely. So, all right. Like I said, thank you again. This concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Here's Savannah with Events on Deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the Events on Deck for December 2020. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two OGGN live streams, and on the third, we have Moving Up in a Downturn, and on the eighth, we have Quality Management in a Down Economy. The only in-person event we have this month is the API and SPE Houston Chapter Luncheon about the rebuilding of the American oil field, which will be at the Petroleum Club on the 8th. 
Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for December, and I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com. 